We believe that this market is about to explode and the, uh, the technology is at that tipping point where it's moving from early stage development to deployment. And we want to be the partner that companies come to for their equity needs. It is definitely very focused and specific, but it's also kind of like an in-your-face $50 billion problem that the U.S. is going to have. You know, so it's like, it's very specific, but it's also explosive if and when, you know, vehicle transitions happen. Hello and welcome to the Styles Free Podcast. I'm here at the Repower Group offices with Ethan Goldsmith and Ben Birnbaum. They are co-founders and we'll let them explain what the Repower Group is. Thanks for coming on, guys. Yeah, thanks for having us. Repower Group came together a little over a year ago, basically an understanding of some major transitions that are occurring in the market and recognizing that uh, those transitions are going to require significant amounts of capital investment and some innovative thinking in terms of how that capital is deployed. Um, And the the areas that we focus on are the areas of renewable energy and uh, the transition to vehicle electrification. So excited to dive into those topics today. Awesome. And so how do you guys see the markets changing with those, those markets exactly? I'll start with vehicle electrification. Uh, because that's a lot where a lot more of where my background comes from. Um, I think that what we're going to see happen in vehicle electrification is that there's two segments of the market, broadly speaking, to, to look at. The first is passenger vehicles, where uh, w- which everyone knows about, and you know the most commonly followed company would be Tesla, and you're starting to see uh, a number of products coming to market that are competitive with internal combustion engine vehicles, but the transition to electrification is multifaceted on the passenger vehicle side because the buying decision is based on a number of factors. So style, um, you'll hear the term range anxiety, so can I drive this electric vehicle far enough? Brand is obviously an important decision factor as well. Um, and not just price is really what I'm getting at. So there's a number of, of variables that people use when deciding on the passenger vehicle to purchase. So it's great that there's a increasing number of uh, electric vehicles that are coming to market from a passenger vehicle side, but the segment of the market that we are probably most excited about is on the commercial vehicle side. And the reason for that is commercial vehicle purchasers are pretty much exclusively focused on total cost of ownership. So is this the right economic decision for my business? And we're reaching that tipping point in commercial electric vehicles where the total cost of ownership, so taking into account both the upfront purchase cost and the ongoing operating cost of that electric vehicle is at parity or close to the cost of running an internal combustion commercial vehicle. And as technology improves and battery costs primarily come down, we'll probably, within the next few years, reach the point where it's a no-brainer decision for commercial vehicle buyers to transition to electric vehicle fleets. Awesome. So what type of commercial vehicle fleets are you looking at? Mostly is it city buses or what what type of focus do you guys have? There are a, a handful of segments that, 
you know, make most sense when you look at the cost of ownership comparison. But the ones that we're more focused on now from, uh, you know, the way that we look at the market and priority segments to, to go electric are ones that have relatively predictable routes, uh, as well as relatively predictable range of uses. So, you know, urban last mile delivery vehicles, um, and you'll see lots of public announcements from folks like, you know, UPS and the different pilots they're running with different electric vehicle OEMs, as well as fixed route buses and cities. And that's even, you know, become unto itself sort of a studied segment for electrification uh, because of how, you know, the routes run. So that's sort of the way that we think about most priority. Also, that kind of carries between the commercial segment versus the passenger segment. Um, in commercial segments, you can really plan, and we haven't really hit on this yet, and this is why we're focused on it as a business, is making the transition from you know one vehicle type to another is something that takes a lot of consideration. That's where this you know, range anxiety comes from in passenger vehicles and why we you know, are, are more focused on the segments that you can plan and what happens when you begin to plan. So in these segments, and we could just take fixed route buses as an example, <clears throat> you don't necessarily think about you know, the aspects of refueling the bus when you're thinking about your you know, decision today in purchasing a new vehicle. But when you're going electric, you know, you're, you're taking an entire new approach, uh, an approach that requires using an entire new kind of fuel. So there's a lot of capital investment to make to be able to support that. And that's, you know, sort of where we see the opportunity in the market that's not really fulfilled today. The people that you guys look at, the companies you look at, are you looking more toward actually purchasing these companies and running their operations? or kind of being an intermediary and planning their purchase of electric vehicles and sustainable energies? So I think one of the, the unique features of Free Power Group is we recognize the state of the market and the stage that companies are in that are trying to serve these emerging segments. So that allows us to think pretty comprehensively about what the capital needs are of those companies. But our, really, our, our primary focus is to support the actual deployment of infrastructure. So that can take a number of forms. If an if a individual project is big enough, we'll look at that individual project. If a company has a portfolio of projects that they need financing for, then we'll take a more of a portfolio type approach. And then looking at the company itself, if they're early stage and we see the... the and, and they're at the point where they're starting to do deployments, but they might also need cap or support at the corporate level, then we'll look at combined packages of project-level support as well as corporate support. I'd caveat that by saying we don't, we're not early-stage venture investors, so we're not really looking at technologies that are still, still need significant R&D dollars. But if there's a company that's at the point where they need capital to grow, and that's really where we want to get involved because we believe that this market is about to explode and the 
uh, the technology is at that tipping point where it's moving from early stage development to deployment. And we want to be the partner that companies come to for their equity needs, their equity and capital needs uh, at that point. Yeah. So if you fast forward to a world where, or even an individual implementation of, I brought up UPS before, we can just continue to use that as an example. Uh, a world where you know 400 UPS delivery trucks or US Postal Service mail trucks or something like that are sitting in a lot where they all need to, you know, in, in our world, we just talk about electric, but probably a lot of people that you talk to are also excited about autonomous. Mm-hmm. So we can throw that in there too. There's all this tech sitting in a, a yard that has never really been used for anything before other than storing vehicles. And maybe it's got a fence around it with a little with a lock on it that I'm, I'm sure, uh, you know, whoever puts uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars on each vehicle of LIDAR and cameras is going to feel is sufficient. Um, so you think about all those vehicles charging in one place and, you know, making this transition to an entire new type of fuel, pulling off the electrical grid that hasn't been materially upgraded in ever since it you know, was sort of built in the first place, it's only been incrementally upgraded, you have a huge disruption to the, the status quo for how electricity is used in the area, which can have, you know, incredible implications to the area around it. But, you know, for a commercial operating business uh, like UPS or the Postal Service that needs to run service every day, they need reliability, you know, they need to make sure those trucks are going to be charged every day. They need to manage cost. They need to manage operating schedules, all sort of, you know, the things that they do today. But making that transition is sort of impossible unless they can check those boxes as well. And that's just, you know, one yard. And that's kind of where folks are focused today. But extrapolate out that that out to you know a city of electric autonomous uber fleets you know where things get even more complicated and the electricity demand is even higher that unto itself just requires dedicated infrastructure it requires also a lot of things and you know there are many companies innovating around how that's delivered but where we really focus and try and work with folks on is the upgrades to that infrastructure to be able to achieve you know, that reliability and the cost savings because you gotta take the cost of that infrastructure into account of making the transition if you're gonna have cost savings. That's really where we, we focus with folks. Yeah, that's really interesting. So you have on one hand, someone like UPS or people who have a dedicated fleet where it's kind of the same thing every day, you know you'll be able to charge at night and you have another side of it. We have Uber, these fleets are, you don't know like minute to minute where they're going to be and how to charge them. How do you see like charging individual vehicle being in the future? Is that how long does it take right now around to fully charge a vehicle? You touched on a couple of interesting points there. The first of which is, you know, dedicated depot charging versus dedicated open network charging. And I think that we're going to see the depot charging problem being easier to solve because you ha- you know who the customer is and you can plan for how much power they're going to need. 
and work with them to recoup that investment cost that you initially need to make in building out the infrastructure for that investment. Whereas in a disaggregated network of chargers, it's a little bit more difficult to build out because you don't know who the customer is going to be or if you're even going to build it in the right place. Or if something's going to happen, all vehicles are going to be autonomous and now charging patterns are completely going to change. So we see a lot more risks in that side of the market, which is why we're focusing on the former. And our sort of expectation, but also kind of hope, is that once the total cost of ownership economics, you know, tip positive for dedicated fleets and it becomes just a business decision, that's kind of phase one for infrastructure build out and can be a nice baseline for these non-dedicated or passenger vehicle segments of the market to feel more comfortable going electric. So to address your question specifically, there are uh, a range of different kinds of charging that are probably too boring to talk about on your podcast, but you know anywhere from vehicles charging overnight when it's appropriate to just have them kind of slow charge to you know, the news headlines for chargers coming out that can get a vehicle 80% charged in you know, 10, 15 minutes, wow. um, which is not too different than using a gas station. But we actually don't believe that that's the that that's the main problem. The main problem in the larger passenger vehicle segment of the market is uh, there's a significant cost to building out the infrastructure and it's a, it's a big risk if you don't have dedicated use of it. That, that risk doesn't really exist today. You could you know, build a gas station wherever you thought there was gonna be a lot of traffic. Um, you don't really know today where you think there's gonna be a lot of electric vehicle traffic. Yeah, so the whole routes might be different for specifically electric vehicles, especially because you guys are targeting these certain markets that you believe are gonna adopt it first on a mass scale. Yeah, and if you look at like, you know, there's a number of different market studies that say we're gonna need trillions of dollars of infrastructure investment in transportation to support new technologies in the US, anywhere from hundreds to a trillion dollars itself and then in this dedicated fleet segment you know sorry hundreds of billions to a a trillion dollars and then in this like dedicated segment there's still dozens of billions of dollars just to upgrade yards for uh, fleet depots so it really is a kind of an incredible capital need and that's what drove us to be focused on that as a segment but Ethan mentioned earlier, we're really focused in two areas, vehicle electrification and renewable energy, because a huge amount of the infrastructure upgrades needed are to be able to deliver electricity. And so you can't really anymore look at transportation without deeply looking at and understanding energy and how they converge with one another. At the same time that there are vehicle electrification trends, there are renewable energy trends for almost identical reasons, just cheaper to use renewable energy, but also newer, so harder to figure out how to finance and, and develop. When you look at a new project that's gonna use a lot of electricity, you know, it's, you got new on the transportation side, you got new on the energy side, it all has to sort of come together in one 
integrated project. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, you guys have to kind of look at a very wide lens of what's going on with all the energy, how it's manufactured in the beginning and how to actually transport it. So it's very interesting that you guys are focused on just the transition aspect right now, like moving to electric vehicles. That's not even talking about like once you have those, like how do you maintain, sustain all these fleets as much? I'm sure it's into consideration, but yeah, it's interesting that how much there is in just this aspect of moving over. One of the, the, the things that brought our team together is this view that the transition is going to occur to electrification, but we might not know who the winners are going to be on the vehicle side. So is it going to be the incumbent OEMs or some of these new players that are struggling but are in the process of releasing electric vehicles? But the, the reality is it doesn't matter who the OEM is, the power is still going to need to get to the vehicle. So if you have the view, which you know, based on cost curve projections, we believe to be a pretty safe view that the world is going to transition to electric vehicles, then it, the infrastructure is going to need to be there. And not saying it doesn't need to be figured out, but someone else will figure out which is, which is the right vehicle to use, how is it serviced, and more of the actual vehicle elements of that, uh, of the entire transition. Yeah, we've sort of picked what we feel like is... The no matter how the market is plays out, if electrification happens, so does the infrastructure that supports electrification, um, and sort of, you know, sustains on with whoever uh, is operating vehicles, if it's humans or robots or things that we haven't thought of yet. But to to comment on something you just said, we've narrowed in on what we feel like is that sort of specific issue. Oftentimes when, I don't know if this happens to you also, but oftentimes when I describe to people what we're focused on and how we're focusing on it, they say, that seems pretty niche, which in a, a way I get and is a word that people like sort of casually throw around but rubs me the wrong way because it is definitely very focused and specific, but it's also kind of like an in-your-face $50 billion problem that the U.S. is going to have, you know, so it's like it's very specific, but it's also explosive if and when, you know, vehicle transitions happen. The other word to use besides maybe niche is it's it's the opposite of sexy. It's the least cool, potentially, part of the value chain because at the end of the day, you're just moving electrons and no one... You know, no one cares what they look like. No, no one knows today how they get. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No one really understands it or thinks about it. You know, the, you flip your light switch and the power comes and the lights come on. And that's about as much as people think about electricity. Whereas people think and talk about in the, uh, in the media constantly Tesla and vehicles and, and brands and, and the style and the functionality and the features and all of that stuff is really fun and really cool, and I understand why people get excited about that and why that's the part of the market that draws the most attention. But what we're doing is equally as important, I believe, in the transition. It's just doesn't necessarily have the glow. Yeah, I've heard Elon Musk say recently that his cars are entertainment devices. Like, that's their purpose because they're fun. Not necessarily to get you from A to B, like most cars, but that you enjoy being inside of those cars. 
what interesting innovations are you guys seeing in the field of like electric vehicles and sustainable energy and the whole markets that really interest you guys? One of the things that has really started to mature is the financing market and innovative financing solutions for uh, renewable energy. So when you think about renewable energy, from a capital perspective versus traditional uh, sources of energy, the investment is fully made up front. So if you're putting it in a solar plant, it'll generate power for, we think, 30 years. Solar plants haven't been around for 30 years. So we don't know that for sure, but there's pretty good evidence to suggest that they will. But all the investment's made up front, and there's very lim limited ongoing cost versus a say, gas-fired power plant, where there is a significant upfront investment, but there's this also this ongoing fuel cost for the life of the, of the plant. So what that means is that there has to be a unique financing solution for solar plants to be able to invest all that capital day one and spread out the cost to the user over the 30 years of the life of the project. So there's a lot of unique solutions to that. And the, the other thing that makes it a little more complicated is there are varying government incentives from state to state. So you have to get creative to both tackle that upfront investment cost and how you best incorporate the, the federal and local incentives into your financing solution. And there's a lot of very creative financing people that are working on those types of solutions. And it's a, just a good indication of the broader topic that brought us together about the capital need, this large upfront capital need that's required to realize what we believe to be long-term savings. Yeah. I think another area where there's some interesting innovation is kind of broadly batteries as a, uh, as a topic. But if you dig into parts it apart a little bit. New types of approaches to batteries energy storage. There's a lot of non-traditional things going on, but a lot of, you know, just new applications for where you can use energy storage to reduce uh, peak demand. And I, I think that as battery costs come down, uh, it's an area where we'll begin to see a lot of deployment, but also a ton of business model innovation um, when you attach it to something like, you know, a microgrid uh, where an area just requires resiliency or electric vehicle charging networks or solar projects or, you know, any, any number of things uh, that can really shift the way that electricity demand is served today. Yeah, maybe to take one step back on the importance of storage as a both a technology, but increasingly as we transition from the technology being there to a business model innovation, is when you think about renewable power generation, unlike a gas power plant or a coal plant, you don't get to pick when that plant generates power. A, a solar field generates power when it's sunny out, and that's predictable, but it's during certain hours of the day. And as we transition to higher percentages of our power coming from renewable sources, 
that means that we need to find ways to shift when power is generated to when people actually want to consume it. And there's a, a variety of business model ways that you can incentivize people to use power at certain times of the day. But the uh, other reality is that you'll also have to have some type of storage solutions. And batteries are increasingly showing to be an option for time shifting uh, power generation versus usage. And, and this is going to become increasingly important as you see, particularly in more progressive states where power uh, renewable percentages or re renewable mandates increase from say 20 30 percent where they are today to places like California that this week signed a hundred percent renewable objective by 2045 it, you're going to require massive amounts of these types of, of innovative storage and business model solutions to be able to meet that objective yeah it's super interesting that bring up the point of like how unpredictable it is to gather the sustainable energy because you don't know when it'll be sunny and you have different places like California where Southern California is pretty much sunny every day so you can know solar could probably be pretty reliable and you come to like New York like you don't know what the weather will be as much yeah so speaking of interesting ways to store energy I saw about a month ago I think the there was a design for this crane that moves uh, cement blocks. Did you guys see that? No, I haven't uh, seen that. Something, one. I don't know the exact details, but something about it stores the energy by just like moving cement blocks on top of each other and like using the potential energy and supposedly efficient, but just like really funny, like totally different way of looking at it in order to store the energy and make it useful like later on. Yeah. You, you can't imagine the number of, uh, of things we see, you know, that are just large heavy things moving or ways <laughs> to use the ocean's energy or you know other aspects of I mean, uh, uh, natural resources maybe it's just a little bit of a tangent but i think it's a fun one because i i saw a really cool proposal to use the hoover dam as yeah. a giant storage device so essentially they the hoover dam blocks water and then lets water through generating power and then they would pump that water back up to the top of the dam and use that as, a, as stored energy to be used later at a, at a later date and it's that's a really interesting solution because there are really two types of the challenge that i just mentioned like interday uh power usage issues where batteries are a good solution so that's using power that's generated during the day at, at night but that's not a great solution for seasonality. So in the winter, there's less power generated by solar than there is during the summer. And that's where you're gonna need bigger scale energy storage solutions. So maybe those are cement blocks that are being <laughs> lifted or it's water being pumped up the Hoover Dam, but uh, we'll need to get creative from uh, an energy storage perspective to, to match um, some of those seasonality issues. And you know, you guys are, are talking about some of these considerations that you have in broader planning for electricity usage with respect to solar, but I think what folks don't realize who might be on the kind of the other side of the coin that are just looking at new business models to deploy, in this case, electric vehicles, is the those considerations are there across like all types of electricity generation, across all markets, and the electricity grid is 
I dare to say, like, no more fragile now than it's ever been. It's always been fragile. There have always been these um, sort of hard-to-pencil-out considerations when a new factory is built or when developing a new neighborhood or something like that. The pace of change on the grid side of things is nowhere near the pace of change on like consumer technology or vehicle technology or anything like that. In the past, there's just been kind of steady development of the electricity grid uh, to support whatever we need it for. But since air conditioners, we haven't really had the thing that required us to really scurry to support other types of innovations um, before. So I think that's uh, it's it's something that we constantly feel like is is sort of overlooked as maybe one of the, the primary barriers to adoption of new vehicle technologies. Yeah, it's for people wondering how the dam works. It's you have excess energy that you don't need right then, so you have to like pump it up, use that excess energy so you have it, the water ready to make more energy to come down. Um, just wanted to add that in there. But yeah, it's awesome. Like the whole like infrastructure is so difficult to move. You can build these electric cars like maybe relatively quickly or you're always innovating and making new things, but you have this whole setup and infrastructure that you need to plan for and make sure that you don't overspend or that it works. We spend like millions or billions of dollars on it. You need to make sure that it's going to last a while. Yeah, we just can't really have, and we don't think it will be, but we can't just really have electric cars at scale be a fad because of what's required to support use of them. We, I mean, we couldn't have cars with pumped gas as a fad either. There's gas stations, you know, all over the country. Um, so if we're going to make that transition and it looks like, you know, all the global automakers are all really behind that with, you know, $100 billion plus of investments in new EV product lines um, announced over the next, you know, five or so years. If, it, if we are really going to make that transition, we, we do have to like truly commit to it and invest in the infrastructure. So it'll be uh, you know, interesting to see how those commitments play out and how pace of change for the, the grid to support um, you know, vehicle technology change can even, can even match where consumers or automakers want it to be. Definitely. There's something else I wanted to pick your guys' brain about. We talked a lot about electric vehicles in the respect of cars, but something else I'm noticing along with these trends is like the small personal electric vehicles, like e-skateboards, um, e-bikes, scooters. What are your guys' thoughts on that trend and how that intertwines with everything? I personally think it's more of a... Uh, like mobility trend than a mobility and power trend. I'm excited that they're electric and not pollutive to the environment, but they don't have a really a significant power requirement. Uh, so that's sort of, you know, from everything we've been talking about the perspective that said, I think it's important that, you know, mobility solutions in cities continue to evolve. Um, and everything that we're seeing looks like a, you know, more complementary solutions. Um, there are some others on the uh, 
perhaps a more radical side, like you know, electric, uh, EV, uh, helicopters, and you know, you see headlines on electric planes and things of that nature that are probably way further out in the future. Um, but there's a, a whole range of non-vehicle electric transportation that makes its way into the headlines somehow. Yeah, I agree with Ben that what excites me about the most about it is largely just the, the continued evolution of mobility and new transportation solutions, particularly as congestion continues to be a larger issue, that there needs to be a, a, a comprehensive approach to, to transportation. One, one thing I thought that was kind of interesting, because I'm, I'm always interested in just how things are charged, is how some of these scooter pro- programs are charged and how they rely on individuals to pick up the scooters and bring them home with them and charge them and then drop them back off in the street or something like that. I, I thought that was, a, that was quite a unique approach and kind of cool. But, but, but there are stories about folks who charge, what's the one in um, Santa Monica? Bird. Bird. That, that folks who charge birds at their house are having like multi-thousand dollar electricity bills. And it does carry the exact same sort of theme of what we were discussing earlier is when you're consuming a different amount of electricity than normal, mm-hmm. uh, you like that's that's real and that's material. And you got to be thoughtful about or at least you can be thoughtful about how to manage down your consumption and how to manage down your cost of consumption. And that's, you know, it's a micro example. And, you know, the, the grid in California doesn't need to be upgraded for, to save this guy who's charging a bunch of birds at his house. But it's a, it's a you know, kind of a tight analogy for what would happen if he was charging Electric vehicles, yeah, yeah. I mean, forty Teslas at his house, exactly. And and I think that the you know maybe one of the things that's interesting there is depending on how how in detail he's thinking about this in Southern California, there are different rate schemes for even for individuals in terms of time of day pricing. So he could, if he has the the right plan with Southern California Edison, is probably the the utility there he could be charging those scooters for 12 cents a kilowatt hour in the middle of the night versus versus probably the 25 cents a kilowatt hour that led to that multi-thousand dollar bill. Yeah. And that if you extrapolate that over like Ben said 40 electric vehicles that is pretty significant savings. So a, a lot of the charging that we see needing to occur in the future it's not just about how do you get the power there, but how do you make sure that the grid is properly utilized at the right times um, and you're only charging when it's most efficient to do so? Yeah, that's a great way to kind of look at that microcosm, that little aspect of a charging a personal scooter and then expanding it to like what you guys are doing, how that's really important for the whole infrastructure and the whole fleet when you really expand it out. It's great. Anything else you guys want to talk about? Anything else interesting, electric vehicles that we didn't touch on? I mean, I, I think that we, we sort of, you know, have kind of jumped around to a bunch of different topics in the last 15 minutes, but 
I think that when you, you kind of string it all together, there are a handful of different functions that go into making the transition to electric vehicles and supporting a world of electric vehicles uh, that we've touched on. Up front, there's a new way of thinking about how you operate and what that costs. There's new financing mechanisms that are required um, to be able to make that transition. There's upgrades to the infrastructure you use today, and there may even be incremental infrastructure. And all those things happen at the, at the front end. And so there, there needs to be, you know, sort of elegant, easy to understand ways to make that transition, as well as companies in place to support those who have gone through the transition in operating and maintaining and managing down the cost of the way that they um, run their vehicle fleets. So, you know, if you, if you kind of think about that as uh, like one package, that's the way that we kind of view the market and are excited to work with folks on how we bring the innovative capital solution to help them through that transition. So I know we, we talked about a bunch of topics, but I think that that's uh, kind of a, a simple way to bring it together. Yeah, completely agree. The other thing I would add, uh, just summing up this conversation, is hopefully that one of the takeaways is that all of these solutions that we're talking about are economic and business model and technology solutions that allow individuals and businesses and and really the society at large, the transition to what are ultimately more environmentally friendly uh, solutions. But that's not the underlying piece of what Repower is doing or the transition that's occurring. The transition that we believe is going to occur is going to happen because it's the right economic choice, irrespective of the fact that it's the environmentally friendly choice. And that's one of the things that gets me most excited is that, yes, this is a, a... transition that we believe that the world needs to make, but it's happening for economic reasons, which allows us to apply creative economic solutions to make sure that it does happen. Awesome. Love it. Yeah, it's a great way to wrap it up and really put it together. Well, thank you guys for having me at Repower Group. Uh, It's awesome being here. Yeah. Great. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Style is Free podcast. After a wonderful summer in sunny California, the Bay Area, where I was working on augmented reality, wait for it, in the car. What? That's right. I am now back in New York City, the Big Apple, talking to more entrepreneurs and more passionate people about, of course, cutting edge technologies. So please keep listening. Hit subscribe. Rate the stuff. Or not. I don't care. It's up to you. Your life. I'm going to keep doing these things anyways. So until next time, friends, thank you. And I am your host, Brett Leibowitz.